You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning Five here on Wednesday, September 4th, 2019. I am Dave Biddle. Very happy to be joined by the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. Back so much to get into. I want to start with the running backs. Um, just one game, but you know, we've been talking so much about the running backs you know, during the offseason. Now we saw them in action. Um, how do you think things are going to shake out um, you know, behind J.K. Dobbins? What were your impressions of J.K. Dobbins as the starter? Uh, just your uh, overall thoughts on the running backs. Well, I think Ryan Day's press conference yesterday was very illuminating about the tailbacks. It seemed to me like he was making a couple comments about how he wasn't happy with the way J.K. Dobbins played. And Now, Dobbins had a, a pretty decent game. He ran for 90-something yards and a touchdown. But he made a comment about how the offensive line played better uh, than he realized walking off the field. He said that J.K., you know, his fumble was, quote, unacceptable. Uh, there was, like, some some commentary that made me feel like he thought Dobbins might have missed some holes that were well blocked by that O-line uh, when the run game was having some of their struggles. And that was interesting to me because, obviously, Dobbins is the most experienced guy in the backfield, and I, I think a lot of us expected him to be the sort of bell cow guy in terms of carries this year, even though he's not the most uh, physically intimidating guy. And when you think about it, that was what he did against FAU. I mean, obviously, that one stiff arm where he threw the kid down like a third grader was you know, pretty ridiculous, but Dobbins was trying to run physical in this game. It was like he wanted to hit somebody on the other team, and you could really see that pent-up aggression coming out. The thing is, is, it's not really Dobbins' game. His game's more of a slashing game, where he gets the ball in space, where he makes a move and he goes, right? And I think it's going to be interesting, because I thought Master Teague came in, ripped off six yards of carry. Dobbins had yet another game where he was around four yards of carry. Uh, DeMario McCall showed he's a big play kind of guy, though I don't think McCall's the guy who's going to use his hard yards. And if Master T's health all of a sudden is more on the equation as being able to get the ball five, ten times a game, they may start seeing him get the ball more because at a certain point, you're going to have to start trying to find the tailback who's going to get you that five, six yards of carry versus the four yards of carry. And that's kind of in Dobbins' MO as an OSU player is he's not going to be the guy who consistently rips off these you know, five, six, seven-yard runs, he's the guy who goes one yard, two yards, one yard, two yards, 20 yards, right? And that's not really good for sustaining an offense. So I think the running back situation is certainly in flux. And you could see the percentage of carries shifting pretty dramatically as we get to the month of September. Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday, the defensive end, sophomore defensive ends, missed the game with undisclosed injuries. Tyler Friday had a uh, some type of injury in practice. Uh, late in camp, uh, Tyreek Smith had off-season surgery of some sort. Of some sort, um, they were warming up. They were in full uniform. They looked like to me, just from watching them in warm-ups, they could have played if they, you know, if it was a bigger game. Larry Johnson was asked about it yesterday. He said they're both quote close to being ready. Um, 
what do you make of that? And especially how much do you think they need Tyreek Smith? I mean, nothing against Tyler Friday. He's, he's going to be a good player too. But Tyreek Smith's the one guy backs when you talk to some of his teammates and the coaches. They're like, this guy could be a star. Well, and how long can you go with your number two, three, and four defensive ends not on the field? And I know there's a lot of depth on the D-line, and Deshaun Cornell played really well when he got the chance yesterday. We're all excited about JVV, and, and you know, uh, we're excited about Zach Harrison, but the truth is you eventually need to get some of your top end guys back in. Uh, you know, Ty- Tyreek's a guy who I think everybody is expecting a big year from once he gets on the field. He looked really good last year, and it was the first time we got to see him. And, you know, he's a guy a lot of people, I think, were of the opinion could pass Jonathan Cooper, even if Cooper hadn't been hurt. So he's a big-time guy. And this weekend we have a reasonably big game coming up. So it would be nice to have him on the field. And same for Tyler Schrader. He's a guy who certainly moved his way up the depth chart in camp. He's a guy who we've all been expecting to be a very big contributor this year. So, you know, you could, you could go without some of your top-end guys for the FAU game and the Miami of Ohio game. You prefer to have them for Cincinnati. You prefer to have them for Nebraska. And I think that's all last week was, was just a precautionary measure, give them another week, sort of fully recover, and get themselves right for the year. Because you come into the the season and you have a nagging injury, it's going to stick with you the whole year. You don't get more healthy over the course of the season, right? It's football. So I I think last week was purely precautionary. But, you know, you're going to need to get these guys on the field uh, against a better team in Cincinnati this weekend. And uh, I, I think that's something that, as OSU fans, we've seen Chase Young dominate uh, when there really wasn't anybody of note to the other team on the other side. If you can get some people on the other side who are going to have the opportunity to go one-on-one virtually every play because you have the top defensive end in the country opposite you, you're going to see these guys have a pretty good performance. So I'm looking forward to seeing Tyreek get on the field. I'm looking forward to seeing Friday get on the field. But, you know, in the end, you can't go forever without some of your top-end guys. And I think that's something OSU recognizes, and I think you'll probably see both of them on the field against UC this weekend. Justin Fields put up really good stats in his debut as the Buckeye quarterback. But looking beyond the stats, uh, what do you think he did really well, and uh, what do you think he still needs to work on the most? Well, I think overall he was ahead of where I thought he would be for the first game of the year in terms of sort of command of the offense, uh, in terms of accuracy on a lot of his passes. I mean, I thought he had a great day, and I think we're going to be nitpicking at this point because he had a game where he completed 75% of his passes. He threw four touchdowns and scored one on the ground. Uh, I was surprised. Like, it felt to me in that game like he had thrown for 300 and ran for 100-something yards. So I was a little surprised to see that he didn't pass for more than 230-something yards, and he only ran for 60-something yards. Uh, that was a surprise. But you could tell. On the other hand, this was a kid who's making his first start in college. And uh, when the offense sort of went through its limbo for that quarter and a half where things weren't particularly good, if Fields was a little more seasoned and more comfortable in the team as being the vocal leader of the group, then maybe that mental shakedown doesn't sort of happen. Uh, if you have a quarterback who is sort of driving the bus instead of, you know, shifting the gears and putting it on cruise, then I think you're going to see the the offense wouldn't have had that second quarter of mediocrity that they had. But it's his first start, and I think that's something he's going to learn is, is that, you know, he's the quarterback. He's going to be the leader. And I think he's gaining the moral authority to lead more vocally with a group of guys that he was only been teammates with now for eight, nine months. And the truth is, if you go out and you play, then you can look at other people and expect more of them. Uh, when you're the new guy, you've got to go out and establish your bona fides. And that's what he did in this game. So 
I know there's a long way to go. Uh, I, I certainly am excited to see him against a much better team. Let's face it, that first touchdown he threw to Jeremy Ruckert, everybody on Bucknuts listening to this podcast could have thrown that same pass. I mean, there's nobody within 10 yards of Ruckert on either side of him, and he's in the middle of the field. So, you know, it'll be nice to see him perform well against a higher-level competition. But if he goes out this weekend and has the same kind of numbers that he did against Florida Atlantic against UC, then that's a really good sign for how much more he's going to improve over the course of the year. Again, this is his second start. And he looked really good the first game. So I, I think the leadership aspects for him are going to come with time. The physical abilities are certainly there. Well, if he can put up big stats in this game and, and not turn the ball over again, I mean, that bodes really well for him. That's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough test. We'll get to the UC game in a moment. I do want to get your thoughts on, again, it's such a small sample size. It's one game. Um, but we're not talking about one baseball game out of 162. We're talking about one football game out of hopefully 15. Probably at least, you know, obviously at least 13, maybe, you know, 14. Um, Garrett Wilson getting shut out in the opener, especially considering how much they were moving the ball uh, in the first quarter, and he was out there a lot. I was surprised he got shut out. He didn't do anything wrong, but um, I guess I was just expecting them to make more of an effort to get him the ball. Uh, I'd never expected him to be, like, one of the top two or three receivers. I thought clearly it was going to be K.J. Hill and then Chris Olave in some type of order were going to be the top two guys. And then you still had Mac and Victor and all those guys. So I was not expecting him to be, you know, one of the leaders or anything. But, uh, again, just one game, you know, overreaction central here. But uh, I was surprised that Garrett Wilson didn't get any touches. Yeah, and I think that's more just a, a bad luck of the draw. I mean, Fields was spreading the ball around to a fair number of receivers. You could see him trying to go through his progressions. And Garrett Wilson not getting a catch in the first game isn't necessarily an indicator that he's not going to be a good player for OSU this year. I think totally the opposite that he's going to be a very good player this year. But maybe just the way the game played out, that he wasn't the one who happened to be open, or there were plays where he was open and Fields got flushed from the pocket. It happened. And if he doesn't have a touch against UC, I'll start to wonder uh, what's going on there. But in the end, this is a kid who's very talented. And the other thing of that equation is we always talk about, oh, you know, look at all these different receiving options OSU had. Well, during the offseason, we really didn't talk a lot about Jeremy Rucker. He had, what, four catches, two touchdowns or something like that in the first game? So if he's yet another option in place, that's even fewer touches to go around for the receivers. I think Garrett Wilson's going to be perfectly fine this year. It's just kind of maybe a, a little oddity of a game that in itself was kind of odd that he didn't get a touch. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Jeremy Rucker. That was awesome to see him have his coming out party, uh, you know, as we're, we're all quick, just like I did with Garrett Wilson, like when a guy comes in with a lot of hype or like, what's <laughs> – What's going on with Jeremy Ruckert last year? Only had one reception the entire season. Um, and then, you know, with his debut, four catches, and he gets uh, two touchdowns against Florida Atlantic. So that was great to see, and it looks like they're going to use the tight end a lot more than they have uh, in the past. Um, no matter what Ryan Day says when I ask him that question, Ryan Day lied to me, man. I asked him, you know, before the game, now what's he supposed to do, tip his hand? So I'm, I'm completely being sarcastic here. But uh, I did ask him, do you think you guys are going to use the tight end more in the passing game this year? He's like, nah, it'll probably be somewhere the last few years, you know, thinking. But, again, what's he supposed to do as a football coach? Tell me what he's going to do, uh, tip off his opponent. Um, but, yeah, that was good to see Jeremy Ruckert out there. And I agree with you about Garrett Wilson. He'll, he'll be – he won't be fine. He'll be more than fine. He'll be a big part of this year's team, and he will be a – I still think he's going to be a future star. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. He did. He got shut out in the opener. Um, all right. All right. Here we go, the Fickle Bowl. Cincinnati Bearcats coming to the horseshoe. High noon. Uh, Buckeyes favored by 17 back. So I was a little surprised 
I thought it would be like around maybe 15 and a half at the most or something like that. Um, not that the point spread really matters, but uh, just your thoughts on this game, your thoughts on the spread, just anything you want to say about Buckeyes versus Bearcats this Saturday. So before the season, I did a little list on the front row where I listed the games that concerned me the most, the games that I considered to be the highest potential for upset for OSU. And there are two of them in September. One was Nebraska, obviously, which is kind of the game that's become such a, quote, trap game that maybe it's not a trap game anymore. But the other game that I listed from September was Cincinnati. And the reason for that is obviously the Bearcats are a good team. But this is their Super Bowl. This isn't just Luke Fickle coming back to the horseshoe. Uh, And for the first time in his life, one thing, Ohio State to lose a football game. But all these kids that went to Cincinnati from Ohio didn't get an offer from OSU. They didn't get a sniff from OSU. For them, it's a little bit of the FU Bowl because they want to prove that, look, we were good enough to play. There's going to be a lot of kids on that field with a lot to prove. So what OSU has to do in this game is to overcome that emotion from Cincinnati. Now, the truth is, we all know that OSU is the more talented team. I don't think that's debatable. Uh, And there's certainly some flaws in uh, UC's team that OSU is going to have to uh, make sure they take advantage of. But OSU has to match their intensity. And coming off the FAU game where they came out like the – you know, 1997 Denver Broncos, and then ended up not playing. And then they ended up playing like the 1975 Denver Broncos in the second quarter, right? Uh, you have to play four quarters against UC, or there's going to be uh, these lulls in the game that burn you. And that's something OSU has to get better from week one to week two on this this year. And uh, I, I think that's going to be a critical thing for this game. Now, looking at UC, if you look at their offense, uh, they have a very good t- tailback in Greg Warren. But I watched that UCLA game, right? And by the way, UCLA was two plays away from actually winning that game where their quarterback just flat out dropped the ball twice in the red zone. Not like they had it knocked away. He just dropped it. And if that happens, that's that's a touchdown and a field goal at a minimum that they left on the board. And Cincinnati won by 10. So, you know, let's not get too hyped here that Cincinnati, you know, could have reasonably lost to a bad UCLA team. Uh, and UCLA couldn't pass the ball to save their lives. Obviously, Justin Fields is going to complete the passes against this UC defense. But going back to Warren, their running backs right now have been really hard hit with injuries. There was a guy who was supposed to share carries at Warren who got hurt in camp. Their new backup was also injured and out. He didn't play much of the UC game or UCLA game. I don't think he's expected to play against OSU either. And then Warren late in the game, went down clutching his knee, and I thought he hurt himself pretty severely before he came back in. So he may be banged up. So if OSU can slow down the Bearcats' running game, then Cincinnati's not going to be able to compete in this game. And let's face it, the last time Cincinnati played Ohio State, I think there was a lot of concern that it was going to be a closer game than we wanted. Uh, That was the game where uh, Anthony Schlegel famously leveled a drunk fan who ran on the field with a clothesline. (laughs) But uh, OSU won that game by, like, four touchdowns. So I think we all recognize the potential for this not being a good game for Ohio State. But if Ohio State plays anywhere near that potential that we saw in the first quarter against FAU on a more consistent basis in this game, then there is literally nothing to be worried about. And some of us who are the not old campaigners, but maybe medium list distance campaigners, remember 2002, Gino Gadoli and the whole Paul Brown Stadium near catastrophe before Craig Krenzel spun his way into the end zone to avoid an upset on move-in day in a year that Ohio State went to uh, on to win the national championship. So we take UC fairly seriously. But there's a reason Ohio State hasn't lost to another Ohio team in more than a century, and I don't see that changing this weekend. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And I had forgotten that that, that that was the Anthony Schlegel game back in 2014. I mean, obviously, and who knew at the time, especially watching that defense at the time, giving up uh, all those long touchdowns at UC in, in 2014, who knew we were to looking at a national championship team there in 2014. But, yeah, Ohio State won 50-28 to 28 the last time they met in 2014, and I forgot that was the Anthony Schlegel game. That's hilarious. Um, I only remember that because the... I was at the game. That was amazing. The whole crowd yeah, was more uh... excited about Schlegel killing the kids. Than they... And, by the way, that game too, Dave? was the game where OSU broke the school record for total yards, then lost it when a ball got snapped over Cardell Jones's head late in garbage time. They lost like 20 yards on the play. And so it was kind of a statistical anomaly because we're like, wow, we set a record, and there it went. So it was kind of a funny, goofy game at that time, too. And then they set the record, I believe, and uh, well, they set the record, I know for sure, in the opener against Bowling Green in 2016. We're all like, all right, they fixed everything. Ed Warner and Tim Beck, they're going to work just fine. No, Bowling Green, that was like the worst Bowling Green team that – they've ever had. Usually Bowling Green's a pretty good team, but they had just switched coaches. Babers went from Bowling Green to Syracuse, and they brought in a new coach, and Bowling Green was awful. Ohio State put up like 771 yards of total offense in that 2016 opener and shattered a bunch of records. We're all like, oh yeah, Barrett can throw. And um, So just another you know, little, little word of caution there. Don't, don't put too much stock in one game. Um, as we saw that you know, it didn't get much worse uh, than having Ed Warner and Tim Beck calling an offense, especially Ed Warner, as we're learning from the Zach Smith podcast. All right, before I let you go, some breaking news this morning. It's kind of pseudo-breaking news because this has been leaking out since Sunday when Charles Robinson was the first to report this from Yahoo. I want to give him credit. He was the first one to report Sunday morning that the Cowboys and Zeke Elliott were very, very close to a deal, and it was imminent. It wasn't like they were close, and it might break down. Like, this will happen. Well, the details are just fantastic for Zeke. He is now has – he's passed Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley, when he signed his contract, uh, it was $45 million dollars. Uh, you know, plus all the base salary, you know, getting it around a hundred million. Zeke, fifty million guaranteed. I mean, plus all the base salary, so probably you know, again, right, right around a uh, hundred million for the six-year contract. But the fifty million guaranteed, making him that's the highest figure for any running back in NFL history. Um, I didn't know if this was going to work to this extent. I figured he was going to sign backs, but I thought maybe it'd be a little bit less than what Gurley got. Good on Zeke. Well, he deserves it. Let's be honest here. He's still really young. He's got a number of productive years ahead of him. He led the league, what, twice? And the other year he didn't lead the league was the year he was suspended and may have led the league if he played all the games. So you can make a very easy argument that Zeke Elliott is the best, at minimum you can make the argument he's the most productive tailback in the league. So good on him. Uh, NFL tailbacks a lot of times end up playing for pennies for a very long time, and they sign a big contract and they get maybe one or two years out of it and then they get cut because they become too expensive because they're getting towards the end of their, their professional shelf life. So for Zeke, this is good for him because he's going to make a crap load of money because I don't see Zeke you know, de- or regressing for another couple of years if you look at just normal statistical uh, regression when it comes to tailbacks as the age in the National Football League. Zeke's, what, 24, 25, something like that? So he's got another four to six productive years in him. He's going to make the majority of the money in that contract, and that's yeah, absolutely 24. awesome for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 24. Can you believe that? It feels like because he, was, uh, he wasn't like young for – I mean, he was kind of young for his grade. Like a lot of these guys, um, you know, get held back, you know, quote-unquote held back, so, you know, for sports. Zeke was actually kind of young for his grade. Not like Paris Campbell young, but, yeah, he's only 24, which is surprising. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's the point, right? He, he's got another five, six, seven years of being a top-end tailback. I mean, like, realistically speaking, I bet you, uh, you know, you talk about these contracts, they sign a six-year deal, you laugh, and you go, what's the first three years, right? 
the truth is for Zeke, he's going to get probably five years of this deal for sure. And with those guarantees put in, I mean, if it's, you know, $100 million, Zeke probably is walking away at the end of the day with 80 to $90 million when we're talking about, you know, realistic money that's going to end up in his pocket. And that's absolutely awesome. And by the way, if you're Ohio State, you should be trumpeting this left and right in running back recruiting, which we've been talking about for months now. You know, hey, B. John Robinson, just wanted to point out that the highest paid tailback in the National Football League is an OSU alum. How's that? <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Hey, Jalen Knighton, I know you were super excited to go to a school that just lost to Boise State, but, you know, see what Zeke did? <laughs> These are sort of things that Tony Alford can use. I will say this just to close the show. To, you know, we'll, we'll go, we'll circle all the way back to running backs. I will say, I, I like what I saw to Master Teague. And talk about a, talk about a small sample size. I like what I saw to Marcus Crowley, but you're talking about four four carries at the very end of the game. Um, but you know, I think they have something there. You know, Master Teague is it's not where Ohio State wants it to be. They want to have just a guy that's like a Zeke Elliott or a Carlos Hyde, or you know, the, the bar has been set so high. But um, it's also not catastrophic by any means when you look at the future. I mean, this year, hopefully Dobbins gets better and better. I agree with you. I think that Ryan Day was not very pleased with the way J.K. Dobbins played. I don't know how he could have been. J.K. Dobbins clearly was missing holes out there where they were well blocked. But Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, I think they have something in their backs. I hope they do. I think they do, too. And I think as the year goes on, you're not going to have a carry share where J.K. Dobbins has 24 carries or whatever he had, 22 carries, something like that. And Demario McCall has three, and Master Teague has three. It's, it's not going to be like that. I think you're going to see J.K. more with that 10 to 15. And let's face it, too, against a better opponent, Dobbins is going to catch a lot more passes out of the backfield. So you're going to have that mixed up a bit more. You know, I think Dobbins is probably always going to have more than half the touches for the tailbacks if he's healthy, but you're going to see that change as it gets on, further on. And you know how high I am on Crowley. We've been talking about him for all summer. I love that low, powerful runner. I don't know if OSU had that guy initially until right, you know, coming into the, the spring game with Crowley. And Crowley can move the pile. I don't necessarily know that any of these other guys can yet. Well, great stuff from the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale, on this edition of the Bucknuts Morning 20 and Change. We went really an extended edition here, but uh, so much to say. So much to talk about, so much to say. The season's back. We can talk about stuff, man. That's what we can do now. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Yeah, not that we would ever need to manufacture um, conversations in the off season or anything, but it, it is much easier now to come up with topics. It's like we leave some topics on the, you know, just on the cutting room floor because there's so much to talk about. It, it's just great that football's here. And thanks again to the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale, and thanks to all the listeners out there for tuning in the show. I appreciate it. Hope everyone has a great day. Let's hear that Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. <laughs> takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leading corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.